Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling, award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. And if I sound a little bit tired, that's because I'm a little bit tired. It's been a long couple of days. And we're going to do a little adventure together here, along with a slightly different show format. Because I am putting this show together, barreling down the highway at about... Uh, well, you know, I would never break the rules and regulations, so why don't we say barreling along at the speed limit? Exactly, of course. So the last two days have been frenetic. First of all, everything everything always happens at once, as we all know. So second cutting of the hay went off like a charm, but that was kind of the same day or two that we were setting up the book signing at the Wyoming State Fair which is a great little event. Those of you who have never been and you're in the vicinity, I think you'd like it a lot. A little hometown, uh, kind of back-to-Americana fair. Not the big fancy fairs of the big fancy states and lots of great people. And we had a great day book signing. That was uh, oh, yesterday. I think I've lost track of time. Set a new record for the fair, which was terrific. So thank you all, and thank you readers, and thank you fair, etc. And then, literally, I left the signing podium at that fair. And there's some senior publishers there for the rest of the week. So there are signed books for whoever did not make it yesterday when I was there. And I am on the road to the state fair, the Western Fair, in Boise, Idaho, which is kind of a big event. If, if it, I mean, it dwarfs Wyoming. But just about anything dwarfs Wyoming, which is great. But, you know, knowing how way leads on to way, as Robert Frost would say, one thing after another came up. I won't even bore you with the details of all the little nitty-gritty that came up to delay my departure, which I was hoping to do this morning at about 6 o'clock, so I could get into Boise about 6 o'clock in the evening and unload and have a little time to kind of get some R&R, get some sleep, which I kind of need. And uh, tomorrow we set up that signing station, but that was not to be. So here I am at, what is it, give or take 2.30 in the morning, still two and a half hours out from Boise. I think I'll get about an hour's sleep and then down to the venue to get things set up, which is a pretty elaborate affair. And obviously loads of books, thousands of books to move for the signing. And so I am bringing you this show, The Wonders of Modern Technology, (laughs) said the dinosaur from Jurassic Park. The Wonders of Modern Technology are bringing you this show from the one ton, barreling down the highway at exactly the speed limit. By the way, folks, on the upcoming signing schedules, unfortunately, we have a senior publisher assistant down with a broken leg, another halfway down with a torn rotator cuff, which makes lifting boxes of books rather difficult and generally the publishers are short-staffed all the way through this summer you know welcome to biden's america so very unfortunately because it's the first time in i think seven or eight years and i love this event we will not be attending the blackfoot fair southeast idaho state fair this year 
and uh, it kind of breaks my heart. So to all you folks out there in southeast Idaho, Blackfoot, that whole area, apologies. We'll make it up to you next year with books five and six. And I wish you the best. And feel free to drop me an email. It'll be a little bit of time before I get back to it, but I, I will. As far as the rest of the schedule for the summer goes, we're at the Western State Fair in Boise, Idaho, as I was telling you, from now until I think it is the, well, it's a week from Sunday, so like the 28th or 29th, so come on down and say hello. We're then at the Clay County Fair, which is, uh, I believe, Iowa's second largest fair behind the state fair. Loads of readers up there. We're way looking forward to that. We're going to be a little shorthanded up there, but it is what it is. And then we are in the uh, Las Vegas Cowboy Christmas for the NFR which is always a great show. Lots of friends from all over the country down there. And then, of course, at the Denver Stock Show in January. Next year's schedule will be revealed as soon as I know it. Hope to see you at one of those events, hither, yither, and yon. And what we're going to do on this show, since obviously I can't barrel down the highway at exactly the speed limit with a bunch of papers and notes and everything else all over the cab of the truck. Bad things not only might happen, they will almost definitely happen. So instead... I'm going to do a little ad lib. I've been meaning to do this for a while, so this is actually kind of a golden opportunity. We're going to skip just a little bit of our historical, the last part of our historical series on population control in all sorts of ways and depopulation. And I got some, I'm going to bring it to you next week. It's really jaw-dropping what the Western countries have done to the rest of the world and to themselves in terms of undermining population growth and employing You know, it's kind of a eugenics. There's really no way around it. But that'll be next week. I'll tell you the exact sordid details of South America and Africa and the European continent and the North American continent. And as I go through those uh, alarming MOs of the globalists and population control maniacs, And I went through their 11 preferred methods last week. If you didn't hear that show, listen to it on therightsideradio.com. I'm going to stitch together here in this show things we've been talking about for about four or five months. And I'm going to ask you to step outside of your box, get rid of that normalcy bias as I talk, and start linking all these things we've been talking about. And start thinking about coming to a conclusion as to what they all mean or what they could possibly mean or what the, shall we say, folks who don't think like us want them to mean. It's pretty damn important, folks, that you kind of get your hands around this and make a decision and then take actions. But first, we're going to start with our founder's quote, as we always do. And this is Thomas Jefferson. And isn't it apropos for the corruption we see today at every level, unfortunately, of government? Quote, when once a republic is corrupted, there is no possibility of remedying any of the growing evils, but by removing the corruption and restoring its lost principles, every other correction is either useless or a new evil, unquote. And of course, we're going to have our ranch story today. Oh yeah, the ranch story. Well, you know, there's a place we're looking at to kind of add to the ranch, and it's nice, and it's uh, beautiful, and it has all sorts of great things going for it. It's a little pricey for today's market, in my opinion. But I think when we get all done with today's show, you're going to understand why I like kind of real things, tangible things, going into the time period that we're going into, the culmination, the converging of many lines in the heavens. 
So although we never contemplated making a run at a place at this point in time, this place came up on the market. It has all the natural attributes and agricultural goodies that we like, and it works in every respect. One of the things that happens in ranch real estate is that sellers and the brokers who handle the listing for sellers, there's a myriad of details for them to, uh, shall we say, have together. You know, when there's a potential buyer, particularly a buyer who knows ranches, when there's a potential buyer, and this includes, it's a list too long to mention. You know, I go over a lot of it in my book, Land for Love and Money, which was a number one national bestseller and named best real estate book of the year a few years ago, etc. And that first volume of the three is about acquisitions, Land for Love and Money. You can get it anywhere and everywhere. You can get it from the publishers, threadswestseries.com threadswestseries.com. And if you're thinking of buying land or you're thinking of buying real estate, you might find it quite helpful. But I'm not here to plug the book. I'm here to tell you that when you have a piece of property, in this case, a working ranch, in the case of other people, it might be a 40-acre home site, or it might be a quarter-acre lot in town, or it might even be a house already built in town or in the suburbs. You expect your sellers to number one, disclose anything that's wrong with the property. And number two, to share with you all the information they have on the property, good, bad, or ugly. That's their job. And it's the broker's job to know all these little tidbits about the property and to have a binder together with the documents that describe this stuff. And by the way, I want to apologize if you hear a little road noise in here. I have the mic really close to my trembling and tired lips. And hopefully it's going to come through pretty clear for you. Otherwise, we're going to have to do a rerun. So that's kind of your choice. But apologies for any interference here in this show in terms of the audio. Back to the ranch story. When a broker or a seller doesn't have it together, don't know what, you know, some basic things like the water rights. Can't get more basic than that on a ranch. Or other things that have to do with the bundle of rights and the bundle of things to be concerned about when you buy a property, that makes you kind of step back. And we worked pretty hard on this contract. I mean, it was well put together. It left a little room for negotiation, although not a lot given today's economy. And we had a list of things since they didn't seem to have them ready for us, which was kind of surprising. We had a list of things that they needed to provide us in the time frames in which They need us to provide that information. And obviously a contingency. If we didn't like any of the information, which they should have had to us to begin with, we could cancel the contract, etc. Well, we submit the offer. We have a great conversation with them. They promise to get us information. And now here it is a week later and no information, which makes one scratch one's head. And we're probably going to walk on this deal, even though it's a lot of the things that we like. Because in dealing with things that have to do with assets, and all of you that are listening to me have assets of some type. Some of you may have lots of assets. Some of you may have a few. Some of you may have one or two very treasured assets. Even if they're not of, you know, huge value with 10 zeros after them in terms of value, they're important to you. They may be important to your future depending upon what the assets are. And one of the things I've learned over the years I've been doing this is that generally people who don't want to share information with you 
don't want to share that information for a reason. And whether or not the information is good, bad, ugly, indifferent, you know, doesn't matter. What matters is how quickly and efficiently and professionally they get you the information which is standard in any transaction of any type, folks. We're not just real estate. And when they don't, it's a sign to maybe kind of step back and rethink everything that's going on and to rethink it in terms of the big picture, right? What's happening in the community and the state and the county and the country and the world? Because all those things are going to have an impact on your asset. And by the way, when I say on your asset, I mean any asset. Think about it. There's no asset that you own in one way, shape, or form that is not or could not be impacted by governments or world organization bodies like the United Nations and their small arms treaty or the WEF and Klaus Schwab, who really is just a puppet for the Rockefellers and that whole clan. You will own nothing and you will be happy. And of course, you know, with our own government here, which we're going to talk about a little bit in the rat-a-tat-tat. So the moral of this rant story is when you see a red flag, understand what you're seeing and always go with your instinct. Trust your gut, folks. And that might be a really, really, really good rule for what we're going to be discussing in today's show. And after that discussion, a little philosophical back and forth for your mind, we're going to be talking about a little rat-a-tat-tat, much of which kind of ties into our discussion today. You can call it kind of a fireside chat in the middle of the summer. So let's review all the things I have covered for you over the last six months, give or take. The history of the Federal Reserve, the history of banking, the history of money, the history of the BRICS nations, the history of China's Silk Road, the Belt and Road Initiative. And previous to that, over the preceding six months, I covered the history of election fraud, the history of corruption in government, and a host of other topics which are, unfortunately, very germane why to today's did particular subject find ourselves in. And why did I do them in the order that I did? Because I'm trying to introduce you to a much bigger picture than just those fascinating stories. And to the extent you have not listened to them, I mean, obviously, you don't need to listen to the rat-a-tat-tat unless you want to. That's Some of it is passe, old news. Some of it might still be apropos. If you get a chance, you might want to go back and listen to some of these shows. You can type these. Uh, and by the way, I, I'm not trembling. My voice isn't quavering. But the one time is <laughs> hitting a few frost heaves as we go exactly at the speed limit. <laughs> right. I brought you these histories because it is really important that you understand the foundation of what we are experiencing now in all these various tangents with our money, the dollar, our banks, uh, our adversaries overseas, the mistakes we have made as America and really the American government, not Americans. And though we have brushed in these historical stories on what they mean on a higher plane, a bigger level, I haven't really tied it all together for you. So let's sit back for a moment and think about, and I'm going to do this very briefly, the history of money, no currency ever 
in the history of man has survived. No currency. Zero. The only thing that has survived is hard assets of value. They have survived everything. And what is a hard asset of value? A hard asset of value, folks, is something that there is a limited supply of, a finite supply, a ceiling to how much can be produced or mined or grown or, in the case of land, of land. Land can never be duplicated, unlike a house or a shopping center. Anybody can go out and build one. But land is what it is. There is no more of it. Let's talk about the metals, right? There's a finite supply of silver and of gold and of platinum and of, well, (laughs) in today's Green New Deal age, lithium and all those minerals. And of course, the rare earth minerals, which are necessary to building supercomputers and chips and for military and all sorts of other employment by the industries of the world. And what, of course, is there no limit to? Well, that's our currency. There's no limit to the amount of dollars that can be printed. If you understand that basic premise, what there is no limit to is worth far less and is far less safe compared to what is absolutely limited. And for those of you, you could include, if you are crypto folks, Bitcoin. There'll be 21 million Bitcoins. There'll never be any more. It is an asset, if you believe in crypto, that is finite. There'll never be any more. And then we talked about banking. And I hope you understood how this has always been a war between the big banks and little banks. And it doesn't matter what country. I use the United States as an example. And many times the big banks are kind of Siamese twins with government. And government implements policies, and the big banks act on those policies, which are meant to undermine little banks and to destabilize little banks. So at that in the end, there is less banks until finally there is only the big banks, and they have the market to themselves. And remember what we discussed in that historical story. Back there before the Civil War, 13,000 banks in the United States. That's now down to 5,000, which is one half the number of banks that existed 20 plus years ago. Take a look at the comments that are made by that moron Janet Yellen and the rest of the stooges up there, the fiscal experts, so-called, in this government. Oh, put your money in big banks. They're much safer as they close regional banks like Silicon Valley and pay off all the depositors using your tax money. And what did we discuss relative to the BRICS countries? What motivates them? It's the bullying by the United States. In part military, in part, I don't want to call it intelligence because that's an oxymoron, in part intelligence agencies destabilizing countries and governments, and in really, really large part, the weaponization of the dollar. Our current government, and this has been more and more so over the last 10 to 15 years, particularly since Obama got elected in 2008, our government has really gotten to the point where it has weaponized everything. It has weaponized the the law and judicial system in the United States. Look at poor Trump out there with these four ridiculous indictments. And, of course, they're all coming at the same time. And, of course, they're all coming a year and a half in front of election where he's the front runner. And, of course, (laughs) they're coming in, shall we say, suspect locations with prosecutors that are, uh, 
why don't we just say they kissed the ring, maybe they kissed the ass also, of George Soros and that whole crew. None of this is a coincidence, of course. But the weaponization of the dollar by the United States is what really lit a fuse under the BRICS countries, which have been in play since about 2001, 2002. And I've told you, and I'm sure you're hearing about it, August 23rd and August 24th, that's next week, the BRICS countries are meeting along with a whole bunch of other countries that want to be formal BRICS members like Saudi Arabia. And some people expect them to announce a new gold-backed or in some way linked, gold-linked BRICS currency as a direct competitor to the dollar, which, by the way, has sunk from almost 80% of the reserve currency holdings in the world 10, 15 years ago to 58% today. And this is before the mess over the last year and before the United States literally defaulted on their bonds, $600 billion of treasury bonds and notes, and said, Russia, we're not paying you. We're not going to pay the principal and we're not going to pay the interest which, of course, made everybody on the whole planet sit up and take notice and go, well, if they can do it to Russia, who has 5,000 nukes, they can sure as hell do it to me. So there we go. And then we talked about China's rather amazing Belt and Road Initiative, how that evolved into the $8, $9 trillion infrastructure project, probably man's greatest infrastructure undertaking in the history of the planet. And I brought that to you because you need to know what China is doing. They are our number one adversary. Forget all this poop and scoop about Russia and Ukraine and Russia is going to take over NATO. And This is all psyops, folks. And I think it's intentional psyops because we talked about the history of corruption in the, in the United States, in the United States government. And I gave you some examples of way back when, and they were pretty bad. But nothing is as bad as what we are facing today with the Biden crime cartel and the other folks hovering around or within the government at its upper echelons, including the agencies and departments who are on the take, who are willing to throw the United States and the, and the American people out under the bus of their personal power and financial gain. Kind of brings to mind that Jefferson Founders quote I shared with you today, doesn't it? And over the last six months, I brought you the history of climate change and all the wackadoodles who push it and all the gullible people who believe it. And we've talked about COVID, and that's kind of a broad brush. But I want you to take those major points. And what is that saying I use all the time? Because it's absolutely and always has been and always will be positively true. All wars are economic. And by the way, a war doesn't have to be a war between the United States and China or between China and India or between Russia and Ukraine. A war can be domestic, folks. A war between ideologies. A war between nationalist sentiment and globalist sentiment. And I think it's safe to say that we have a purposely incited and carefully stoked by the government and their corrupt media lackeys I think it's safe to say we have a war going on in the United States right now. By the way, does it seem Idaho needs some fixes on its roads? Can you hear those thump thumps? I'm sure you can. If you take the most recent historical series, which we'll finish next week, population control, both mentally and emotionally and in terms of numbers, and how long 
the Western world, unfortunately led by the United States, as we discussed in those historical stories, DSSM 200, the Kissinger Report. And remember, all that is on the link on, on the right side, radio.com, upper right, click that link, depopulation, and it'll bring you to that page. You can read all these government documents for yourself. I think we have more than a score posted. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to the pundits and the talking heads on TV. Read the official government policy and plans. It will tell you all you need to know. And somewhere along the line, as we are all aware, it morphed from controlling the LDCs, the least developed countries, and permeated and morphed, like the cancer it is, into controlling population in North America and the population in Europe. Particularly, I might add, if you are certain aspects of those population, you know, like conservative, like working, like vocal as to your opinions on certain things like the Constitution, equality under law, you name it. But if you step back and look just from the U.S. perspective, I mean, these poor foreign countries that have been subject to this, they've realized it now, and in a perverse kind of way, that's also prompting them to join the BRICS and sign on with China's Silk Road. Nobody, folks, over there in Africa or down there in South America or even in the less developed areas of Asia likes to find out that those yahoos from the West spouting a bunch of nonsense have purposely taken steps to harm, damage, and limit the population in your country. I mean, think about how you would feel if you were India and Bill Gates came over and used Indian children as an experiment, killing or maiming, I believe, from the reports I've read, 400,000 Indian children. And you know what? If it was a fraction of that number, it'd be too much. It's easy to see, if you step back and look at the big picture, how these tsunamis, these riptides of animosity of basically 75% of the world's population, those feelings that they harbor toward the West, and particularly the leader country of the West, the United States. Let's talk about some specifics on this population control and population control, not as in life or death, but as in control. Controlling your mind, controlling your thoughts, controlling your emotions. Let's talk about the COVID injection. The producers have published even more information on that COVID page, upper right-hand corner, on the right side, radio.com. If you have not visited that page, it's probably, if not the best, one of the best compendiums of news stories, scientific studies, you name it, on the face of the planet when it comes to COVID and the COVID jab. And I get emails from listeners saying, why are you telling us this information? Now you have me worried. Now you have me concerned, etc., etc." Well, my job, ladies and gentlemen, is to bring you information. It's your job to figure out how to interpret it and what it means short and long term. So where does this all lead us to? This frontal attack on your financial stability, and by yours, I mean your financial stability. If you take this war on us in economic terms, the creation of inflation by printing dollars that they expect you to repay through your taxes, that they use in large part to simply buy votes for themselves. It's quite the racket. And since we know that government, 
no matter what lollipops they're feeding you on, what they say the economy is doing or the financial stability of the American production sector. So what does this all mean? I mean, in a nutshell, we have seen what this government is capable of doing overseas and has done in concert with globalists like Gates and Soros. We have black and white evidence as clear as a bell now from the Twitter files and others that are now being unearthed that it will do anything to stop any information contrary to what it deems its best interest to be notwithstanding the students involved. Number four, they have told you in black and white what their aim is in terms of population control and population reduction. And then you have seen with your own eyes them carrying out these policies on lands far away. And you can feel them being carried out here now. We have seen them leave Americans behind to die or worse in Benghazi, Afghanistan, and elsewhere. We've watched them engineer food crises, blaming them on everything under the sun, and of course on the supply chain problems. We've seen them so driven by ideology, so driven by control and indoctrination. We've seen them throw parents to the wind, the actual voting base that they're trying to woo, and insist in writing that parents are not allowed to speak up, not allowed to communicate, not allowed to participate, just that it's all right. I think you get the picture, and you're supposed to get the picture. I told you two stories last week about two different clients having problems just simply taking money, and not a lot of it, out of the bank. And then we have the contrived food crisis and the energy crisis, all of which are man-made. And we're all going to burn up and melt like the Wicked Witch of the West in one final burst of climate change agony unless we do this that and the other and maybe lock down to make sure we're not expending the gas and then we have the push for smart cities you know where everything is 15 minutes apart they can herd the population into central areas watch it and control it determine when you work where you work what you live in we have the burgeoning use of ai and the collusion between big government and big tech which of course was denied flatly looking in the camera into our eyes we didn't do that but they did do that the documents prove conclusively in the twitter files and facebook etc that not only did they do it they had an entire team and protocol and interfere with with communication and information incessantly if it didn't meet their shall we say plans So what you have to ask yourself is this. Is this incompetence or is this intentional? And if you decide after thinking about all these matters, listening to these histories I've brought you, assimilating and interweaving the events that you hear, the dots out there, this department's doing this, cadavers signing this executive order, this ruling by a court is being appealed. You need to sift all those dots. You need to plug them into your perception, whatever that may be, of what's going on. And then you have to decide, if you think it's intentional, just how far they will go. And that brings you back to their own documents on population control and depopulation, which under left-wing totalitarian regimes over the last hundred years has been tried, though unsuccessfully, to the tune of more than 100 million dead. You have the facts before you. It's time to think about it and make a decision, and then govern yourself accordingly. 
What are you going to do to protect you and your family and your property? If the conclusion you reach is that this is part of a plan, it's all intentional, it's all interwoven, and the goal is the opposite of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now let's do some rat-a-tat-tat. As you know, President Trump has been indicted for the fourth time. I've really not said much about these indictments because they are so patently political. They are so, you know, ludicrous. They are so contrived. It is the typical progressive mantra. Accuse you of what they have done. It's really amazing. In this latest suit, and I'll borrow a few words from Jeff Childers at Coffee and COVID, you know, the, this Georgia hand-picked jury by this woke prosecutor who's uh, bosom buddies and who knows what else with George Soros, it's akin to charging Trump with serious felony counts of illegally disposing of hazardous waste material like batteries, falsely emitting a house guest in the 2013 census, <laughs> tampering with a home radon detection device, and removing fire rating tags from six throw pillows. I mean, it's that ludicrous. I'm going to be following this a little bit more closely from here on in because, as always, progressives have way overstepped their banal and upside-down, inside-out gangplank of idealism and fervor. By the way, his 18 co-defendants in this case are his former attorneys. Since when does an attorney advocating for his client get charged with falsely asserting that there was, in this case, election fraud? We all know there was election fraud, but now it's a crime to say so. How interesting is that? Kind of kind of highlights the fact that there is election fraud. Otherwise, what is all the ruckus? There was an interesting quote along these lines, by the way, from Jennifer Palmieri. You've probably heard that name. Long-term Democratic strategist. And guess what worked for Hillary Clinton against Trump in 2016. Amazing. Quote, the indictments have failed to upset the fundamental dynamic that keeps Trump going strong. His supporters rock solid belief that he is on their side. Unquote. Well, that kind of tells you why these lawsuits were brought, don't you? You know, the progressives give them the opportunity and they will admit everything, not that it will change their mind or change their course. And it seems that the Democrats are inspiring foreign countries, third world countries, banana republic countries to step up their banana republic game. That junta in Niger, I told you this story last week, that blew out the president there, who, by the way, was a CIA American plant, but putting that aside, now says they're going to pr prosecute him for treason. Hmm, gee, this is sounding awfully familiar. And Pakistan. So the ex-prime minister there, Imran Khan, He's appealed his conviction and a three-year sentence. And you know what it was about? Oh, that's right. Complaining about election fraud. Hmm. There seems to be a pattern here with the progressives around the world. And then in Brazil, you know, Bolsonaro, the president who just, well, they say he lost. But actually, the patterns of election fraud in Brazil in this last election mirrored the patterns of fraud in the United States with the machines and the whole nine yards. I mean, it was, it's their playbook. And guess what? The new president and his folks, Lulu, who happens to be a, a left-wing nut, kind of like Cadaver, Soros, and Obama, who are running the White House, they are now going after him over electoral fraud claims. In other words, he complained that there was fraud in the election, and therefore, that's fraudulent. Can't make this up, folks. 
Do you see the dangerous precedent that's being set here around the world? You are losing your right to contest any election. The progressives don't want you questioning whether an election was fair. Of course, if the election was fair, they wouldn't mind you questioning it at all. Kind of go back to my rant story, you know? If somebody doesn't tell you something or somebody comes after you for saying something, there's a reason for that. Yesterday, Redu, that's R-E-D-U-X-X, they ran this story. Here was the headline. Male powerlifter sets new women's record during 2023 Western Canadian Championship. I want you to think about that headline just for a moment. And according to Redu, over the weekend, Anne, quote unquote Anne, Andres, a biological male, blasted out a total powerlifting score, this is a combination of events, that shattered records by 440 pounds, that is, female records, and almost 500 pounds better than the best female in the same weightlifting class. This, by the way, set a (laughs) Canadian women's, wait a second, I thought the guy was a man, okay, whatever. This set a Canadian women's national record and an unofficial women's world powerlifting record. (laughs) How can this guy be proud of this? How can the Canadian Association even do the time of day on this? It's just breathtaking. By the way, his totals would have placed him in the top-performing male powerlifters in the championship if he had participated in the men's category, which, of course, he did not. By the way, back in February, the Canadian Powerlifting Union, you know, woke, 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 can you spell woke, released its, quote, trans inclusion policy, unquote. That allowed transgender powerlifters to participate in the sex category of their choosing, you know, wherever they can break the record, that's okay to go to. And by the way, they can check or they can choose the category of their preference, in the gender competition of their preference, regardless, according to the Canadian Powerlifting Union, of hormone treatments, surgery, and because of inclusiveness. It just kind of warms your heart, doesn't it? This next story, I think, really kind of sums up how little they care. You know, the whole little philosophical talk I had with you bouncing down the interstate. I'm now landed, by the way, in a non-moving position, which is kind of an improvement. So Joe Biden just announced, hold on to your pippy, $700. Wow. Whoo. In aid for the displaced residents of Lahaina, Maui, which is a total wreck. Our heart goes out to you folks out there. I've been there a few times fishing in the billfish tournament out there. That was really a beautiful little spot. I'm not a big beach guy, but it was a beautiful spot. And by the way, that's 700 bucks. That's 700 bucks in Hawaiian speak. You know what that gets you? That gets you one hotel night without tax and nothing left for the bar. What's really interesting, though, there was a headline right below it. U.S. announces new $200 million Ukraine aid package. Hmm. Did you know that the total aid package for the residents of Lahaina who've lost everything? You know, Americans totals $2 million, folks. Two million bucks. Yeah. If you had any doubt about the message I have been bringing you for years, this ought to dispel it. And there's some more fun and games. You know, Southwest Airlines is woke. And if you fly Southwest, may I suggest you don't fly Southwest anymore? Number one, they seem to have a... Uh, a pandemic, if you will. They, uh, they can understand that word. A pandemic of flight cancellations. 
and pilot shortages and stewardess etc shortages and no wonder since who wants to work for a woke outfit like southwest well anyway there's a texas u.s district court judge brantley stars appointed by trump of course and he presided over a jury trial and the jury found that southwest and their union the flight attendant union who didn't help this gal at all were guilty of violating her free speech rights and religious liberties and they awarded her 5.1 million dollars which by the way was reduced by the judge to 800,000 as part of the decision this judge ordered southwest to notify all its employees to make sure that they know that about their religious freedom rights according to his ruling under title 8 but southwest and its woke lawyers thought they'd play some games with this judge so they tried to go around this order instead of following the judge's instructions they sent out this watered down blah email to employees implying that Southwest had been found innocent. Hmm, right. And failed to mention the religious liberty rights or Title or Title Seven. You know, it's not a good thing to ignore the orders of a federal judge. And the judge was rightfully really pissed. So he sanctioned Southwest and he put in two new provisions to his order. This is great. Number one, he ordered Southwest's three lawyers I'm laughing, to attend, quote, religious freedom education, unquote, training by the Alliance Defending Freedom. This is like, you know, this is like torture to a progressive. And so, you know, the ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, was described by The Hill, which is certainly not a left-wing tomato, as a, quote, Christian conservative legal advocacy group, unquote. Well, you can imagine how up in arms the left is over this order. And the judge took the time to write out the exact notice that he wanted the Southwest folks and the Southwest attorneys to send to all their employees. In other words, to make sure they get the correct instructions this time. And, you know, instead of, like, going, okay, well, we tried, but that didn't work, Woke Southwest and its Woke attorneys are appealing the judge's order. They happen to be appealing it to the Fifth Circuit, who, by the way, is pretty conservative, very pro-religious freedom and had some of the best rulings during the entire pandemic mandate nonsense. So, we'll see how this goes. I'll keep an eye on it for you. And then one last one, which I think is absolutely great. I just love it. I just love it. It, This was in the New York Post. Quote, Native American group demands commanders reinstate Redskins' name. You know, this is the Washington Redskins, right? The football team. And, of course, you know, they went woke and they got beat up by all the folks for cultural misappropriation of Indian stuff. I mean, it just makes you want to gag. Well, the Native American Guardians Association, which, by the way, is a very good outfit working for Indian rights and Indian equality on all sorts of levels. Their founder, Eunice Davidson, she sent a demand letter to the Washington quote-unquote commanders, to their ownership and all the key leadership, formally requesting that the team change the name back to the Redskins. I'll read it to you because it's really a great way to end this show. Quote, at this moment in history, we are formally requesting that the team revitalize its relationship with the American Indian community by number one, changing the name back to the Redskins, which recognizes America's original inhabitants, and two, using the team's historic name and legacy to encourage Americans to learn about, not cancel, the history of America's tribes and our role in the founding of this great nation, unquote. You know what? Good for them. 
we're out of time. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Remember, look in the mirror, repeat after me, and repeat it with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. Oh, yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side.